thank you for the presence of your spirit, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can continue to enjoy this journey to knowing more of you, Father, and going deeper in our, in our walk with you and allowing you deeper into the areas of our lives where we need to be challenged, where we need to have our thinking renovated, to renew our mind, to come to a deeper revelation of your love and your passion for us, Lord. And Lord, we remember and declare that you are love and that your purpose for us, your intent for us is to walk out of the fullness of your love for us. And Lord, that we would be strong, Lord, in, in spirit and in heart, Father, because of who you've created us to be and because of what you've put on the inside of us as you reinvigorate us and bring us to life by your spirit, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we ask, Father, for the revelation of your word today, that it would bring light, that it would bring strength to our hearts, that it would highlight the areas of darkness that we need to face up to and deal with, Father. And Lord, that we would go deeper with you in a way that would bring us to wholeness and fruitfulness in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Fantastic. You can take your seats. It's great to have you here with us. I'd like you to just grab your Revival Times real quick and just open it up to take a look at the advert on the inside. Uh, it was just in the side second page. We've got a, a guy who looks pretty happy. He's uh, dreaming of a beautiful world. And in essence, we know there is so much more that God has intended for us, so much more uh, experience and life and joy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have life in abundance. And so much of our experience of the world flows out of our thought life. And so we've got this series of messages today we'll be looking at as we think, so will we be. Next week, we're going to look at the idea of uh, the topic of self-esteem being wonderfully made by God. The following week, we're going to look at fear and fears that can control your life. And then the week after that, the pride that can so easily cause us to stumble in many, many ways. And so it's going to be a great series to really get a handle on um, emotions. And it's really based very much on this book by our senior minister, Colin Dye, Mastering Your Emotions. So if you'd like to go into a deeper kind of textual reading on it, then there is this book available for you from the bookshop downstairs. We are flowing and in this message off the back of the relationship series which we've just finished and if you weren't able to join us for any of those uh, they are available for you online www.kt.org forward slash forward slash media and just search my name in that and you'll be able to come up with the five the last five messages will be um, those messages and really we felt that it was important that we would begin to put in your hands practical tools to begin to manage you and your world uh, we remember in the very first message, why would we wait? Why would we wait before stepping into a relationship? It's because there has to be a lot of groundwork that goes in to learn how to deal with our emotions, how to manage our emotions, how to respond correctly in different circumstances and situations so that we can enter into a relationship knowing that we are taking the best us with us. Now, that's not to say that we are perfect before we get into a relationship. How many of you know that many of your imperfections get revealed when you get into a relationship? But it's beginning to position yourself in a place where you can know how to respond appropriately. There's so many people in the world who have um, a, a, this sort of an attitude to, towards emotions, that emotions are paramount. And the way that they feel in a specific situation is the truth. You know, you might come into KT on a Sunday or wherever your regular place of worship is and begin to worship God and leave the place on a high and wow, that word challenged me. But then on Monday, you're feeling low because it's Monday. And then on Tuesday, you're contemplating the length of life because you know it's four days until Friday. And then on Wednesday, you're smiling because of Orange Wednesday. You took advantage of the cheap cinema tickets. 
Then Thursday, you stumble through because you had an argument with a friend, and you get to Friday and want to forget about everything by the time you come to Friday. And all through that experience, your emotions have been up and down and left and right and sending you all over the place. And if they can change with the season, then how can we place our foundation on them? Or you may be fine that you have entered into a, a season as opposed to just different days and different emotions, but rather a season of emotion where we have been defined by our circumstance. Maybe it's a season of busyness at work where now your response to your environment is to get stressed. I'm out of control. My environment is too busy for me. It's too crazy. I'm going mental. I'm stressed. Maybe you're in a difficult time of bereavement. Maybe you're beginning to question life, struggling with grief, wondering how you can get through the next day. And that's understandable when you've lost someone that's very dear to you. Or maybe you find yourself in a season with nothing much to do. Maybe you've been long-term unemployed and you kind of got used to sitting on the couch and struggling with a sense of purposelessness and a feeling of purposelessness. And what makes it all the worse is when you come into church or you go into the office and there's that person that's always on top of the world. How are you today, brother? Yes, I'm fine. The Lord has been wonderful to me. Has he been good to you, brother? And you know they're faking it. And it makes it that much worse that this guy is faking it in front of you, trying to make life, like his life is excellent, and you're just thinking, I just want to hit you because I'm feeling really terrible today. And ladies, probably you wouldn't want to hit somebody. What would that be? Smile at them nicely, sweetly. Sometimes we need to have something modeled for us. Someone learning to walk with an awareness of their emotions, but not being ruled by their emotions. Somebody who's learned to go through difficult circumstances and situations and know who their God is, and know that in spite of the challenges that they're facing, in spite of the emotions that they are experiencing, that they can pull through this because they have a God who is bigger than the circumstance and situation they're living in. And that person who's begun to walk mastering their emotions is someone who's positioned to release love into their environment. Instead of responding to their environment and everything going crazy around them and them having to get defensive or get offensive in order to get their way, rather they've learned how to master their emotions and bring heaven into that situation or God into that situation who is love and to begin to release love into that environment. And so as we start today's message, I want to ask you a question. What do you think about yourself? What's the highest thing? If I was to say to you, define yourself to me, what is the highest thing on your agenda? What is the thing that is foremost in your mind? It might be that you consider yourself to be a fearful person. It might be that you consider yourself to be uh, a quiet but strong person. It might be that you consider yourself to be um, always put in a position where you have to serve somebody else. Maybe you find yourself to be somebody who's got great dreams that nobody has understood. Maybe you consider yourself to be somebody that started out good but has ended bad because of bad decisions and now expect that you should have to stay in the bad place because of the bad decisions you made in the past instead of knowing that there is a redemption for you. But what is foremost in your mind? What is the foremost emotion that you would say that you experience? Do you foremost and most often fly off the handle? Do you get upset? 
you go away and hibernate and just I just need to be by myself while I just process these things? Are you somebody that uh, gets angry and rejects people instead of being rejected yourself? What kind of emotion is foremost in your thinking? Through the course of this series of messages, what we would really like to achieve is to empower you to see the world from the right perspective. We want to see where self-esteem has no root, or low self-esteem has no root in, in the sense that God has created you, fearfully and wonderfully made, to challenge areas where you are walking in fear. God never, ever uses fear to teach you lessons. And yet so many people walk in this idea that the situation, the circumstance, the fear that they're experiencing is God, God's way, God's way of dealing with their pride, God's way of dealing with the, their reactions. Yet God never uses fear to deal with us. Perfect love casts out fear. Oh, but the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is something entirely different to fear, which is fear in responding to our environment. The fear of God is recognizing that God is awesome and wonderful and all-powerful and at the core of his being good. Recognizing that. But fears which control us and keep us down and ineffective and disempowered, those are definitely not fears from the Lord. They are fears from our enemy. What about anger? How we can begin to deal with our anger in such a way that we, instead of responding out of anger, respond out of love. Because as we begin to deal with those and other major emotional responses, we can begin to see from a different perspective that actually this really is a beautiful world that God has given us. Yeah, but you don't know what I've experienced. It doesn't matter specifically what you've experienced because whatever you've experienced, God knows and he can heal your heart and it can show you a different perspective. And that's not to diminish what you've experienced. I know that many people here will have had very, very bad, bad and negative experiences. But God can bring you through those things and out the other side to see things from his perspective, the beautiful world that he has created. Because if we continue in the nurture of wrong emotions, they begin to define us. Our emotions begin to rule over us and reign over us in such a way that they shape very much the destiny that we have. It says in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And I could hear that many on this side know the verse very well. Hallelujah. But the problem is that this is based on the man's perception. How he's seeing something which in turn depends upon our hearts. Our perceptions are based upon our heart responses to people. And what is in our heart drives our emotional responses, our reactions, which are centered around these perceptions because we have a set of needs that we desire to meet. And meeting those needs is very much about this, how we view the world and what we think the world owes us. I view this world as somewhere where I should be able to experience love. But the way that I've been taught to experience love is by compromising my values and by just getting into short-term relationships where I have momentary satisfaction. But I'm getting my need met in that momentary satisfaction. So I'm getting out of the world what I desire, which is companionship, which is moments of love. Yet in the context... God has no intention for us to continue to go from short-term to short-term to short-term. He purposes lifelong covenant relationship. Our emotions will get us into situations and places where we end up being weakened 
and the virtue of life that God has placed in us slowly ebbing and draining away. And God would have us begin to redefine our worlds. See, our world so far has been sculpted and molded by human hands, often by people who make mistakes, often by people who say things which are intended to hurt or intended to wound, intended to diminish, instead of things which edify, things which tear down, instead of loving, removing love and punishing. But God is here to restore in us the power that we see in heaven through us here on the earth, to restore us to begin to understand that our God who is love wants to pour his love out on this world, and he wants to do it through us. That means that our emotions need to be in check. Our emotions need to be aligned to him so that we can release love into our environments wherever we go. Earth with heaven in it is pretty amazing. Amen? Earth with heaven flowing through your life, healing, restoration, salvation, love, that is a beautiful world. God desires that we would begin to walk in his joy. He desires that we would begin to walk in his freedom. He desires that we would begin to experience life the way that he is intended. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is joy. How often do you experience God's liberty and God's joy? Moments, 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 instead of hours and days and weeks. Yet God intends that we would walk in his joy. It says in Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. So I wanna look at this idea, how do we cultivate a happy heart? If we are the result of our thinking, if we, we are the result of the thoughts and the emotions that we respond to and carry in our hearts, how do we cultivate a happy heart? And I wanna read a verse to you that I wanna leave hanging while we explore some background and then we'll come back to this verse. It says in Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up, to the, come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the, name, to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah 55, verse 7 through 13. I'm going to come back to that passage very shortly. Your emotions are rooted and grounded in your core beliefs and values about how your needs are going to be met. What do you believe you should get out of your environment? What do you believe that the world owes you? I'll give you an example. Remember the child who goes into a shop and it sees something that's pretty and it looks functional. For the boy, it might be 
a big truck that he's going to get a ride around on. For the lady, it might be a pram. Oh, little girl, it might be a pram with another little baby in it to push around. And they walk in, and it's brightly colored and brightly designed. And it's the trick of the manufacturers. They do it specifically so that they'll be attracted to it, and they want it. And they come into that shop, and they go up to that item, and they say, I want it. And you say those magic, wonderful words, no. Not this time, or not ever. And they look up at you, and they think, I know what's going to get you. Tears, one by one. But I want it. But I want it. But I want it. And if you don't give it to me now, I'm going to start screaming, and this store is all going to turn around and think you're a bad parent. And the parent's thinking, you lovely child that I love. <laughs> that child has believed and been shaped to think that to get what it wants, it just has to cry. And the, it does, then doesn't learn the boundaries of what is good for it and what is not good for the child. Now, it might well be good for the child to have a toy to play with rather than going sitting at home playing Xbox all day. Of course, we understand that. But that principle then gets carried on through life. And then we come into the kingdom of God. God, I want it now. God, I want it now. Let me tell you what, God. I'm going to ignore you now. I'm not going to pray until you give me what I want. Or I'm going to run around telling everybody you don't exist until you start answering my prayer. Or I'm just going to grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And this desire for a need to be met begins to rule our responses in any circumstance and situations, and we begin to violate certain principles. God is God whether he answers your prayer or not. God is good whether he answers a specific need that you feel you have at the time or not. How can we say that God doesn't exist? And is it appropriate then that we begin to run around and start to throw a tantrum um, in order to get what we want? And that's so often what we use our emotions to begin to do. We direct our emotions to get what we want. We also direct our emotions in different ways to protect ourselves, to position ourselves so that somebody can't hurt us. So if somebody is saying something specifically mean, then we begin to cry in order to make them back off and apologize and get things right. And emotions can be misused in those variety of ways. But let me begin to highlight to you what kind of a response happens when we allow emotions to begin to rule us. Let me start with this, that it is actually okay to have an emotion. What we're not talking about is the Christian becoming somebody who fakes it to make it, learning how to bury all of their emotions and never deal with their emotions. Rather, it's beginning to use our emotions in the correct manner. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 25, be angry and do not sin. I'll give you a bit of an experience from my side. Um, I have a passion and a need for excellence. It's something that's in my heart, it's in my bones. Everywhere I go, I want to do something excellently whenever I have the opportunity to do so. And it might be that somebody does something that violates my need for excellence. 
Maybe I've asked them to meet me at a certain point in time. Maybe I've asked them to do something for me and they haven't done it by a certain time. And they'll come up to me and I'll see them the next time and my response will be, how are you, brother? But, okay, this is in the past, right? So if this happens now, <laughs> this. But in the past, when I was struggling with this whole idea of excellence, I'll be like, how are you, brother? But inside, is bubbling. And I've got a nice pastoral smile on the outside, but inside... It's bubbling. And I'm trying to bury it. I'm trying to push it down. But you see, the problem is four or five people violate my need for excellence. Number six is going to get it. Because by then, I can't keep those emotions under wraps anymore. And kaboom! But of course, you understand because I have a need for excellence. And until I began to realize, you know, that there was a few things that were resulting from that desire for excellence. The first was this. I was getting frustrated a whole lot. And I don't like being frustrated. I like being happy. I like walking in the joy of the Lord. The second thing was that people around me were beginning to feel condemned. And instead of me inspiring excellence, I was trying to demand excellence. And the ultimate response was a negative environment of people scared of when the next time Gabriel was going to say something a bit too direct. And I began to notice that my emotional response to my perception of their inability to meet my needs for excellence was causing death to enter my environment. I'm being honest and giving myself as an example because I've dealt with that stuff. It's in the past. Hallelujah. At least two, no, at least one year ago. Not two. Let me not exaggerate that. At least one year ago. Um, but you see, there's some things that I began to learn, which is what I'm sharing with you. First is that having a negative emotion isn't a failure. Sometimes we think that we've had a negative emotion, oh, we can't call ourselves Christian anymore. Why well, have I got angry? I'm not allowed to be angry. It says be angry and don't sin. We are allowed to have an emotion. Having a negative emotion isn't a failure. An emotion, and especially a negative emotion, is a signal of something that is going on in our hearts. But the point is that we can actually experience an emotion without entering into sin. That verse actually says, be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry and don't sin. It says, be angry and do not sin. And so I began to understand that, A, my negative response wasn't bad. It was a signal of something going on in my heart. And so instead of getting angry with people for not meeting my need for excellence, I began to adjust my perceptions of their behavior and adjust my need for excellence. Because excellence is inspired, it is not demanded. You understand? And so if we were then to take that to a different situation, perhaps we might have got used to the expression of an emotion to manipulate people. Tears, trauma. Stop saying things that are intended to hurt in order to provoke a response. That is an emotional need that is expressing in manipulation. Instead of understanding, let me just open up and let you know what my need is. Let me open up and let you know what my struggle is. And our emotions are signals that something is going on in our heart that we need to deal with. Something is going on in our heart that we need to bring before the Lord. It might be that you want to consider things from a, a, a separate perspective. Let me hold on that for a second. I want you to be aware 
that when you begin to act in that way and express your emotions in a specific way, you have an influence and effect on your environment. Say you are somebody that's specifically needy and you like attention. And people are having a conversation and you approach the conversation and they're having an intense conversation and you approach the conversation and you stand there until you get noticed. And then you break in. And forget what was going on in that conversation. Now you've broken in and you're interrupting a flow and you're getting that person's attention and hey, do you know this happened to me, that happened to me and you know, I need you to pay attention to me, focus on me, focus on me, pay attention to me, focus on me. It's nice for a moment. But the next time that person sees you and they're having a conversation, they're going to turn around and run away because they want to be able to have a conversation with their friend without being interrupted. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't build a friendship. It's to say that in the context, the effect that you're having on your environment because of the need to have attention is causing people to walk away. Then there's an appropriate response. Hey, are you free now? Can we make a time maybe later on, go for a coffee? Because I'd like to hang out with you. I value you as a friend. It's a different, it's a different scenario. Do you understand what I'm saying? So your response, your emotions begin to affect your environment. They begin to affect the way that people perceive you. And so that's why it's important that we begin to express our emotions in a correct manner. Own our emotions in order to build serious, deep relationships. The problem with our emotions is this, is that, as I said before, we begin to build our whole life on our feelings at this point in time. There are limitations to the truthfulness of human emotion. Because what happens actually when you begin to express a human emotion is that they, be, uh, in a negative way, believing it to be true, is that they can begin to be a self-fulfilling prophecy for your life. Now, this is a very sensitive topic, so I'm going to try and be as sensitive as I can. But say you're in a long-term single scenario. It's understandable that it is a position of having grief, wondering why you're still single, wondering why that situation of someone coming into your life hasn't come forward. And it can be that you get into depression. It can be that you begin to question God. It can begin to question yourself, begin to blame others for their success, and begin to cultivate a bitterness as a result of the emotions you're feeling, which becomes impenetrable and becomes something where people can't come and address you and encourage you where people probably would never actually come up to you and ask you out on a date because of the negativity that is being presented. That's all based on a perception that nobody wants to ask me out, which is not true. But because you've believed it to be true, it creates an environment which nobody wants to come inside of. And because you carry the perception, nobody's going to come and tell you otherwise. And if they try to tell you otherwise, well, you believe it yourself more than you believe them. Now, this is the sort of area where our emotions and our beliefs and our values can begin to define us in a way which is not how God defines us. God intends that he actually redeems our emotions in a way which glorify him. 
you followed me so far. It's a bit of a heavy topic. Do you want to just stretch and... God wants to bring us to a place where we begin to see world, the world he's created from a wholly different perspective. He wants to position us to see things that what we think lines up with who he's calling us to be. What we believe about ourselves lines up with who he is calling us out to be as sons and daughters of the living God. And I want to begin to reflect you back to that passage I read out of Isaiah 55. The thoughts of God, where he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. In what way is God's thinking superior to yours? And I want you to consider this. First, it's obvious that God is God. He knows. He doesn't just know everything, but he actually knows what is the true need of your heart, what is the true thing that you're seeking to meet, the true agenda that you're seeking to meet with your emotional responses. We, on the other hand, are limited by our knowledge and by our perceptions. Now, some might have a problem with that. They might think, you know what, who is this God? You know, why is God coming and telling me that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his ways higher than my thoughts? I know that. What is he trying to prove? Is he trying to prove that he's bigger, better than me? You know, I'm going to prove to God that I know more. Well, apart from the good luck aspect on that, if when you begin to respond and act like that, actually what you begin to do is cut yourself off from understanding his thoughts and his intents towards you because his thoughts and intents towards you are definitely not to violate you. God is not the big bad God coming to whack you on the head and tell you, fix up, my thinking is better than your thinking and I don't want you to sin. Yeah, but I love sinning. That's not what this is about. This is not about the cane to tell you how to behave right. This is about understanding something really important about God, that God actually wants the best for us. Hallelujah. God wants the best for us. And so God, when he begins to express to us, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways, it's because he's trying to communicate to us how we can live in such a way that we experience the fullness of joy that he has intended for us. Not so that he can violate and take away our right to life, but that, so he, but that he can give us life. But that he can give us life in its abundance and in its fullest. God's thoughts are not to violate you, they are to release you into your full potential. In addition to that, therefore, they are absolutely there to violate and destroy the sin that controls you. God wants you free. Jesus said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. God absolutely is about bringing you into a freedom from emotions and needs that are not from Him. Stinking thinking is sin. Bad thought processes in your heart and in your mind is sin. Now, I'm not talking about when the devil comes and throws concerns and throws accusations and throws temptations at you. We all experience that, where you have those thoughts that just pop into your mind and, and you're just like, what is this? 
But when you begin to actually take those on board, when you start to receive those seeds and start to think on the basis of those seeds, e.g., they tell you you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but that's everybody else, not you. You're ugly. That's the word from the devil. It's not a word from God, right? But if you accept that and receive that, and therefore your thinking begins to flow out of that, that word applied to everyone else, but not to me. I must be ugly, you know, I must be the one that he missed. And you start to live out of that. That becomes sin. Because it's less than what God intends for you. It's less than God's plan and purpose for you. It's less than his view of you. If the Bible says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we start to agree with them, then we get into this danger, dangerous area of cultivating thought processes which give rise to emotions which are not from God. And so how do we know what's of God and what is not? This gets us on to the second point. I want to challenge you, my Bible that is in my iPad. I should have brought my actual Bible so that I could hold it up for you. But I've got 25 versions in the iPad. So I'm carrying more just in this one book, hallelujah. But all scripture is God-breathed. Every word that God speaks about you come in, through the Bible comes from him for you. Comes from him to edify you and to build you up and to tell you who you are in his view. Now the first problem you have is if you question scripture. It says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The moment you start to question scripture, oh, you know what? That, those, those, verses on, um, those verses on, you shall not fornicate and not commit adultery. You know, I think you can, I think you can skate around those if you interpret it a different way. And you can maybe change the meaning of the word fornication. It doesn't mean no sex before, before marriage. Go check a dictionary. It does. But we begin to skate around the word, and you know what that does? It inhibits our ability to build on the foundation of God's word because we don't believe it to be true. When we begin to question God's word, when we begin to question what he's revealed to us in scripture and what he said about us, then we no longer have a foundation to build our emotional life on. And that's why we get into being led by all of these emotions. It's this idea of your truth is true and my truth is true relativity. Your truth is not truer than the word of God. The word of God is truer than your truth, and your truth needs to fix up if it is not in line with the word of God. And that word, his word, becomes the foundation for our knowledge of ourselves. If he created us, he knows us best. He knows who we are. And it has to be centered on the knowledge that God is good. Sometimes people read a verse and forget about the rest and say, oh, God is bad, and he's here to punish me because I've sinned yesterday. Understand that God is good. Understand the complete counsel of the word of God and apply that to your life. And once you have that word, sit with the Lord and his word and ask him to show you what he thinks of you. Now, it's easy to hear I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but to sit with God and say, Lord, by your spirit, show me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Me. Not just everybody, but me. Point four. So point one was 
recognizing God's ways are superior. Two, that we can stand on his word. Three, that we need to sit with him and ask him to show us what his word means to us when it becomes rhema, when it becomes specific to us. And four, allow our minds to be renewed in response to his word. Exchange your negative thoughts for his positive thoughts. Exchange his ways for your ways. And it's work. Let me tell you something. In the Western world, we've got used to this idea. All I have to do is understand something, then I've got it. No. You have to understand something and put it to work in your life to get it. There's no point intellectually understanding something that hasn't dropped into our hearts. We have to begin to understand, like I had to begin to understand in the area of my frustration, that I was called to love people and inspire people, not demand things from them. That was a change in the way that I viewed and perceived my world. We have to allow the Word of God to change our perceptions and change our views and change our goals in line with who He says we are. And the renewal of our mind, the working at this, spending time with His Word, spending time with His Spirit will begin to bear fruit. It is a seed that goes into your heart that bears fruit. It says in, the, in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We need a new heart. That's where I want to just begin a drive towards an end. God has given us a new heart when he saved us, when he brought us into a knowledge of Christ, when he took away our sin, he gave us a new heart, which is a new place of developing who we are, out of which overflows the rivers of living water that he speaks of. And I want to ask you a simple question. In the depth of your heart, what do you believe about you? Are you unlovable? 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but full-grown love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. But fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love. Do you believe that you're worthy of punishment, that you should be walking around afraid, that you should be concerned about your walk with God because you, you feel like you're messing up in many areas? At root cause, I want to challenge you that perhaps you consider yourself to be unlovable. But the flip side is this. If you know you're lovable, then you begin to receive freedom increasingly from fear. You begin to receive increasing freedom from things that bind you and hold you down and begin to see that the whole beautiful world that we're speaking about is possible for you. And the one thing that should show us how lovable we are is Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross. Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross was for you. Not the person next to you, and I mean, though of course for everybody here, but I'm not talking to the person next to you right now, I'm saying to you specifically, that the love of God is revealed to you in the person of Christ upon the cross. And that, seeing Jesus dying for us, should wound mortally that heart that believes we're unlovable and put in us eternally 
a heart that knows we are lovable. Take from them their hearts of stone, put within them their hearts of flesh, and give them a new spirit. To begin to walk in a, an emotional life that overflows, that brings love into their environment, that causes you to flourish in everything you set your heart and your mind to, right at the start, there has to be an alignment of your heart to the Lord's. You are so lovable that God died for you on the cross. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. Father, we ask, Lord, that you begin to change our perception fundamentally, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, where we keep living out of the old man heart and the old man life, Lord, you've taken away that heart when we got saved. There's no need for us to keep living out of that heart because you've given us a new heart, a heart that responds to you, a heart that responds to your love for us, a heart that knows how much you love us. And Lord, we ask, Father, that you would increasingly begin to challenge the areas of our hearts where we think old man and old woman thinking, Lord, where we continue to bring out emotion that is in response to how we've been treated before. And Lord, that you'd begin to heal our hearts, that you'd begin to speak directly into our hearts, Lord, and bring a healing restoration and bring a, a move, Lord, that flourishes in us as we let go of those idolatrous goals that don't bring you glory, and as we align ourselves to your truth and your word. And Lord, we thank you that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, that we can begin to think differently, think your thoughts for our lives, to agree with your thoughts for our lives, and to bring every thought of ours and every emotion and every need that is out of line with your word, to bring it into the mirror of your word, and to forsake those things which are not of you, and to leave them behind, and instead to lay hold of the vision and the dream and the plan you have for us, because Lord, we recognize that you desire the best for us. You're good. You're fundamentally good. And Lord, we know that we're going to struggle with emotions on that way, on that journey. We know that we're going to struggle with long-term self-perceptions that have been shaped through depression or through negative self-images. We're going to have to face up to those things. But Lord, we thank you that as we come out the other side, Lord, you'd give us a whole heart that responds in the correct way. Our hearts, emotions would be strong signals of the great work you've done in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And Lord, I just want to pray for everyone here today under the sound of my voice who hasn't yet had that heart exchange. And if you've never had that heart exchange, that knowledge of Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think and listen to what I'm praying now. And at the end, I want you to respond with raising your hand if you say that you want that heart exchange, do you want that heart of sin stripped away and you want the heart that comes from the Lord that new heart. So we'll pray together. Father, I pray for every person here that hasn't yet had that revelation of your goodness and your heart towards them. And Lord, I ask, Father, that right now in this moment with you, Lord, that they would bring their broken lives to date to you and exchange in faith their sin and shame for your life and your wholeness. And Lord, as they make a decision to accept you as their Lord and Savior by faith, reaching out to the goodness that you showed to us on the cross. Lord, I thank you that there'll be a transformation that happens in their hearts, that faith would come alive, that they would receive you, Lord Jesus, knowing that you've forgiven their sin, and that they begin to live life according to your love and your passion for them. Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed for that prayer for the first time and you want to know the Lord, I just want to ask you to raise your hand up in the air. 
be strong and bold. God wants to give you a great experience of walking with Him. Just give me a big wave. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Anybody else? Excellent. Amen.